o'clock. Welcome back. It's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 on the FM dial. We take you up until noon. Don't forget the show changes here this afternoon. Not the uh, participants or the principals, just the hours that you'll be able to listen to them as uh, going forward. Murph and Andy beginning today go from 1 until 3. And then the Fanatics, Ross, Chris, will be on the air from 3 until 6. Murph and Andy, 1 to 3 today. Fanatics from 3 until 6. Uh, Scott Docterman from The Athletic coming up in about 20 minutes. Right now, Dave Sproul from KASI. Uh, that's where the Cyclones play in Story County. Before we get to Dave, uh, excited to... Uh, I saw a twi- uh, text, or text, a tweet earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Walters retweeted it. The voice of Hilton, Gary Wade. He's been there for 42 years, done over 650 consecutive games. Not... No misses in there. No misses. 650 plus. Tomorrow's his last game. Oh, wow. He's hanging it up. I know the voice. Yes. I guess I never even knew the name. Well, I worked with him at Prairie Meadows. Oh, okay. That's how I know Gary. Gary yeah. worked in the uh, the TV department um, at Prairie Meadows for, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he still does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I crossed paths with him. I, I think he was a professor at Drake at some point. But he's best known as the voice of Hilton. Yeah. So Gary's going to join me. And we're going to reminisce a little bit tomorrow while we wait for you to get back uh, <laughs> in here because uh, you're going to be down at Wells Fargo, right? I will, oh, wow. yeah. I got the opener tomorrow morning with play-by-play. Got some color this evening I'll be doing for some 3A contests. So busy and excited. I'll be working with Hunter Phillips, who does the Drake women's games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I've never... He's relatively new, right? He is, yeah. yeah. I've never done games with Hunter before, so excited to A, meet him and uh, have a couple of games this evening, including the nightcap at 9, and then I'm right back 9 a.m. the next morning. Ooh. I thought Rick Silvestrini didn't did maybe Hunter took Silvestrini's place. I think you're right. I think yes. he did. Uh, anyways, let let's get to our friend Dave Sproul. Uh, Dave, you obviously know Gary Wade. Uh, I'm assuming very well. Uh, crossing paths with him prior to games, etc. That's a hell of a run, right? Forty two years. Yikes. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. And uh, consider, I think somewhere in there, I can't remember when he had a heart attack, and like two days later, he was back on the sidelines at Hilton announcing another game. So, and uh, he's a guy who's uh, just as nice as can be, and yes. always somebody I look forward to seeing uh, around the concourse at Hilton before a game and uh, get a chance to say hi and catch up with. Six hundred and fifty consecutive games. It ends tomorrow, so I don't know. Who's going to call Saturday's game, the finale against K-State? But he's going to bow out prior to that. Maybe he'll sit in the stands as a fan for the first time of what I'm assuming will be multiple opportunities so that, going forward. That game's in Manhattan. Oh, so that, 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 there's that. your answer. I don't know why. I thought that game yeah. was here. Well, game's in yeah, Manhattan. The last game at Hilton tomorrow night. Gotcha. That, that's, yeah. why, that's why it's happening. All right, so uh, as, as you know, when we spoke on Friday, I was convinced uh, that the Ofer was going away this past week, that I thought that Iowa State was going to find the win column for the first time, and, boy, it just didn't happen. Rasir Bolton going out. I guess let's start with uh, with that. Uh, wasn't able to answer the bell in the second half. Twisted an ankle, came down, uh, came down awkwardly, to say the least. Uh, any update there on Bolton's availability? for the home finale tomorrow? Not yet. We'll find out later today uh, about 1.30. Steve Frome is going to meet with the media and I uh, would expect we'll get some kind of update at that point. Uh, he didn't have much to add after the game, immediately after that loss on, on Saturday. Just that, uh, you know, the, the training staff basically told him that Rogier wouldn't be able to go in that in the second half. And you got to give that team credit. I mean, even without Bolton on the floor, they were able to come back and, and take a lead in that second half and play with a lot of energy and spirit and just, you know, 
uh, as has happened so many times uh, this season, they just couldn't get over the hump and, and get the job done. And I, I counted it up today, and the Iowa State has lost 11 games this season by 11 points or less, and that's got to really be mm. frustrating. As, uh, as Pro mentioned after the game, he felt that the, you know his locker room was devastated after that one. So uh, it's it's been you know not only losing all these games in a row and losing every Big 12 games, but you've had so many opportunities where you've been in the game and have had opportunities to win and just haven't been able to get it done. You know, I just saw a little bit of the post-game press conference, but it felt to me, hearing Coach Prohm say, we just got to find a way to get these guys over the hump. As you said, Dave, they are so close, but I think a lot of, most everybody's worn down at this point in college basketball, just the nature of the beast, but it feels like it's a different level. From the the clips that I saw of Coach Prohm, boy, that guy just seems tired. Hmm. Yeah, and, and you can't blame him. I mean, he's had a lot to deal with between the injuries and the, the COVID shutdown and everything else going on. And I'm sure he feels the, or at least senses the speculation and uh, the expectations of fans that maybe he won't be back next season and uh, all that stuff. It, it, it weighs on you uh, psychologically and even, you know, probably has some physical effects and makes you feel just exhausted uh, when you go through the, the kind of season that Iowa State is having. So, you can understand if you've ever gone through you know hard times in your life professionally, and who of us haven't. Um, it's it's something that you know will get you down. And but Steve also has, has maintained that kind of a, a certain positivity, I think, because he's still in there. He's still kind of working hard, and he wants to get his guys that reward of getting a win before the season is over. And he's got another chance, the last chance tomorrow to get a win at, at Hilton this season. And I know he wants that for his guys really badly. And that's another reason why he takes losses like Saturday so hard. You know, it was good that it was good that he started the two walk-ons that are playing their last game, Steyer and Schuster, both in the starting line. And I know that that's just you know that's something that happens frequently. Uh, but uh, it was it was good that they had that opportunity. <laughs> I liked about it, Schuster was he was taking his shots right. He was bound and determined uh, to make it into the the, uh, the the box score, and he did. But he was over two. But I love the fact that this kid was. I mean, he, he took advantage of his one and only start in his career, right? Gosh darn it! If I get the ball, I'm going to shoot it and he did dave sprow hey you know who among us would not do the same right. i mean you gotta you shoot your shot and yes. they say so you might as well might as well take a crack at it. unfortunately for Iowa state i mean I, I might be taking this too far as my colleague ben visser at the cedar rapids because that pointed out you know if Iowa state loses by four and they lost by four the floor for the first two minutes you know. they, yeah so you know you can you can maybe make an argument that that kind of approach might have you know really cost iowa state the game i would never uh, suggest such a thing because it is such a good gesture to, to get those starters, the, the the walk-ons, the senior walk-ons, a chance to start. Yeah, it's not like they were number, uh, you know, they're 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 a half game out of the lead and the, the first place teams in town right. and uh, different circumstances. You know what cost them the game? Uh, TCU, who's not a good free throw shooting team, except they were on Saturday, right? Eighteen for eighteen, Dave. That's unbelievable. They couldn't. They didn't miss. Yeah, it's really hard to defend that too on those free throws. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just remarkable. They got TC was not a very good free throw free throw shooting team, and they just cashed all of them in uh, throughout the game. And uh, I mean, that's Murphy's law, I guess, maybe for you. And, and the other thing that stuck out to me about the box score too from that one is that the number of turnovers were about equal uh, for the two teams, or maybe a different mm-hmm. two, one or two more turnovers by Iowa State. But TCU's points off turnovers were 21 compared to 11 for Iowa State, mm-hmm. if I got the numbers right. It was a 10-point differential in terms of points off turnovers. And without breaking down every play and looking at all the film, my, my conclusion would be that Iowa State's turnovers probably tended to be the live ball variety, 
where that resulted in steals for TCU, whereas TCU's turnovers maybe were the dead ball variety that mm-hmm. results in inbound plays for Iowa State, where TCU gets the chance to set its defense. The live ball turnovers that you know Iowa State maybe doesn't have that opportunity to get set in the defense, and TCU can take advantage. That that was a huge difference in the game as well. Uh, you know, in a four point game, a difference like that is is obviously pretty big. So. One of the uh, biggest calls of the game was the non-call. Oh, my gosh. Out of bounds. Oh. And then TCU gets a three-pointer mm-hmm. out of it. Prone can't say anything afterwards. But mm-hmm. the uproar, as you'd imagine, it was palpable there. But what can be done? Is it just as simple as it's a missed call and, and that's all you can do? Frustration, certainly, from the fan base. But I just don't think there's anything you can do to change the how it resulted, obviously. Yeah, and that's a play where in the last two minutes I think could be reviewed because out-of-bounds plays I think are allowed to be reviewed, but I'm not sure if that exact type of out-of-bounds plays could be reviewed. But either way, anyway, you slice it, it would only be in the last two minutes of the half anyway. So you can't use the video review process for something like that. You can't just stop the game and say, oh, we got to do over. We're going to start. We're going to go back to here and pick it up from that point. You, you really can't do that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a mistake by the officials that you have to live with, and that's kind of the – the thing about a couple of teams that are near or at the bottom of the Big 12 standings, you kind of get the crew that the officiating crew that's yeah. probably at right. or near the bottom of the Big 12 standings in, in that regard. They do have a process. Uh, a lot of people have the perception that uh, officials aren't really held accountable. There is a process. It's more of a behind-the-scenes thing where you know teams have, have the opportunity to send film to the Big 12 and say, well, here are the calls we didn't like and here's why, and then the league can go through that and say, all right, if you're right, then we address it with the officials and they grade out officials and they get rewarded with more opportunities to, to officiate games and tournaments and things like that. So there is, there is something of a process for holding those guys accountable, but in the moment when something like that happens, that's probably not much comfort. Yeah, it's unfortunate that that hasn't come to baseball yet. Otherwise, Angel Hernandez would be, <laughs> you know, long gone, <laughs> long gone at this point. Uh, help me out on Jaden Walker. We we've seen spurts, we've seen flashes. He's no longer in the starting rotation. At least we anticipate that he'll remain coming off the bench. Seems like as the season has gone on, his game has not taken the steps forward that it looked at least at times that it was uh, on the cusp of doing. Dave. Yeah, you're right, and I, I guess I don't have much of a good explanation for it other than I, I hate to make it sound like I'm piling on Steve Rome here, but it, it has been an issue the last couple seasons at least, if not longer, that player development hasn't exactly been a strength for his program, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe Walker was a guy they missed on recruiting. They thought maybe he'd be a Big 12-level player. Maybe it turns out he's not, or maybe this, you know, everything surrounding this, uh, this season has weighed on him more than others and been more of a disruption to him than maybe to other players. There's a, probably a million different ways you can go with an explanation for something like that. Uh, but he's a guy who just, he just has not developed and maybe it's asking too much for a freshman or for every freshman to, to say, all right, uh, you need to dramatically improve during the course of the season, but we're just not seeing that from Walker right now. Tyler Harris played point guard after the Bolton injury. He's not a starting level point guard, certainly in the big 12, but you think next year, if he wants to come back for another season, that's a role playing two guard mostly, but backup point guard. Did you see enough there to say, hey, maybe they do have something there as a backup? Yeah, there's a lot to like, and I don't know the numbers in and out because I think it's, you know, there's value in looking at those numbers and evaluating those, but at the same time, there's numbers, there's, there's value in, you know, scouting and breaking down the film and things like that. And, but what I'd like to see most out of, 
out of him is just the energy he plays with. He, he really, at times, he can use his speed to an advantage. I think there were a couple opportunities for him to go. It looked like he just beat everybody down the court and, and could have gone out of the way to the basket and then passed out, whereas he might have had opportunities to take it and score himself. So maybe that's something that develops for him. Uh, and he's a guy who does have a lot of room to grow, but you can see a lot of athletic ability there, a lot of effort. Now it'll be interesting with Tyrese Hunter coming in, uh, if he sticks with his commitment to Iowa State and you know decides to come in. He's a highly rated point guard coming out of Wisconsin, uh, and he's a guy who maybe could come in and be a starter from day one. We'll see, but Walker's definitely going to have a uh, – or excuse me, uh, Harris is definitely going to have a role on this team if he decides to stay too because – and I just – Couch that in terms of what else, because you never know about what's going to happen with transfers, particularly if there is a coaching change. Indeed. Solomon Young's mom made it, I see. That's great. That's yeah. fantastic. I, I, I didn't notice that myself, but uh, that, that's a great story. And what we've said before, nobody has stuck it out through harder times than uh, Solomon Young uh, in recent Iowa State history. Uh, Coleman Land certainly maybe had his best shooting game of the year. I mean, he's a volume shooter. He usually gets, you know, uh, towards 20. I'm not sure exactly what he's averaging, but uh, he did so uh, this past Saturday with uh, with the certainly fewer shots than he normally has been taking. Yeah, and uh, he's been, you know, coming along quite a bit uh, as the uh, game has, or the, the season has gone along. And it's just maybe he's just more comfortable in Big 12 competition and, and feeling more confident about getting his shot up and feeling stronger. Uh, and we're seeing maybe, you know, what we expected Jalen Coleman lands to be uh, throughout the season. And maybe that was realistic or maybe it wasn't, wasn't fair to expect him to be that kind of player all season long, but it is nice to see maybe one of those positives you could take away a guy like that really showing kind of, you know, everything he can do on the court and how good he really can be because yeah, it certainly felt like on Saturday just about everything he put up was going to go through. Uh, and last thing for you, just to go back, so you guys will have an opportunity to, cut, to Zoom with Coach Prohm. When do you think he'll have – I mean, he, we may not find out anything, but we'll maybe I'm, – I'm sure the Razier Bolton question will be asked. When will we see that on Twitter, do you think? Uh, probably pretty shortly after it happens. If not, uh, you know, check your favorite uh, outlet. Uh, I'll – just for you guys, I'll try to remember to, to post something myself. And what that time's time. that going to happen? One one thirty. One thirty. Pro begins gotcha. his uh, Zoom meeting. Yep. Uh, Dave, we'll talk to you on Friday. Have a good week, Dave Sproul. Thank you. All right. Have a great one, guys. Yep. Dave Sproul, K A S I, fourteen thirty on the AM dial. So I want to go to Travis Hines, mm-hmm. who tweeted this, and I thought, you know, when he tweeted it, I thought, boy, that's a good point. You talked about that call, yes, right? that just awful, awful call. Yes, I thought the ball went off Jackson. And then even went further out of bounds, and they missed that too. Honestly, I yeah. thought it went off a clone, uh, and then went off a frog, and they missed both of them. But Travis Hines tweeted this, and I think it's absolutely spot on. I know people are checked out on this season because I haven't seen a single tweet about the egregiousness of the out-of-bounds non-call. Really? Yes. And Cyclone fans have been known to get on the officials. Oh, just a little bit. Just a tad. <laughs> Um, Did we have an athletic director sitting at a podium complaining about officiating yeah, the calls? Game being rigged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was that was a mistake. That on was part. That wasn't that a good was luck. A bad, bad. That was at Oklahoma State, yes. was it not? Yes, it was. Yeah, um, and you got to find twenty five thousand. I think not a good look to do that. Can't but say the games are rigged. But in a play like that, when you're fighting for your first, but checked out, 
Is that maybe well, just... That's, and I thought when Heinz tweeted that, I thought, yeah, you know what? The blowback on Twitter has not been anything anywhere close to what it would have been in a typical Iowa State basketball season. And I was a huge Cyclone fan on Saturday night because you told me all week long they were winning. Yes. So I listened to you. Yeah, yeah. And it was the final leg of a parlay. How many teams? Did you have 14 parlays? 14, every and Saturday. So the first three had been checked off. Got the, the green column. check mark. Good to go. And you need Iowa State to win by just to win? Just They were favored by one. So, you, okay. Yeah. But pretty close. Just win the basketball game. It's like, I always do, it's like $3.50 to win 50 Do one of those every, a four-teamer every single college football Saturday <laughs> and college basketball Saturday. So over the course of the year, I don't know, probably six, 26 times. And if I hit it, I don't know, a half dozen, yeah. I'm in the plus. Right. And I had some winners in football this year. Thought I was my path to the second in basketball. But I hedged out of it. I did hedge out of oh, it. Oh, did you? At least that sounds all bad. Right as Iowa State was coming back, yeah. found the perfect price, and at least made some money on it. Hedging is hedging's tough. If you because I really don't exactly know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, but I don't feel like I do it at the right time, or I wait too long, or I uh-huh. do it too early, and the price that I got. But I guess that's kind of the fun of live betting, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you get into? Is you know if you just would have waited a couple of buckets there, all of a sudden you're getting plus one thirty as opposed to minus one thirty. It, it, it's wild watching those lines. Timing is too. everything, it no is. doubt about that. We will take a timeout. We'll switch from the clones to the Hawks. Scott Dockerman joins us next. Miller and Condon are with you until noon again. Murph and Andy one to three. Fanatics three to six. We're on Des Moines Sports Station fourteen sixty KXNO and one hundred six. Global Direct Mail and Marketing is a local design and print shop that'll help you from start to finish. From design to printing and mailing it for you. From wedding invitations to birth announcements. And it's time to be thinking about those graduation announcements. No matter how big or small your project is, Global will work with you from creating a custom design to getting your project inserted into the mail. Global can design, print, and deliver. And Global can help your business grow with custom mailers designed to help you bring new customers through your doors. Located on 121st Street in Urbandale or call Craig at 515-282. 282-3000. It's Global Direct Mail and Marketing. No. Trek Condon here to let you know my good friends at Renner's Warehouse are in heavy demand right now in Des Moines for three reasons. One, the rental market is booming. People rent during uncertain times and homes are getting leased fast. Two, with professional video marketing and self-showing technology, Renner's Warehouse meets all healthy and safety guidelines for our social distancing world. And three, with regulations changing so quickly, more people are learning that using an experienced property manager is far less stressful than trying to do everything yourself. Now is not the time to DIY or mess with inexperienced property managers. For a low, flat monthly fee, Renner's Warehouse will take the grunt work off your plate with no upfront fees and no paperwork or 3 a.m. maintenance calls. Plus, they can help you turn your part-time rental into a full-time cash flow machine. And if you're a real estate agent, they're offering cash payments for referrals. Go to Renner'sWarehouse.com to book your free home rental price analysis today or call 515-528-4429. That's 515-528-4429. Renner's Warehouse, Des Moines. You'll always in their families. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Condon, 
Welcome back, 1130, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 on the FM dial. By that DraftKings promotion that you and I uh, cut the commercial. Yeah. So just so I want to get this right, if someone lands a punch in a fight. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> they're giving away to money, Trent Condon. It's uh, a fun place to be, isn't it? Yeah, really. Let's get Scott Dockerman in here as we talk about Iowa's most complete game of the year. Well, let's ask Doc. Uh, hello, Doc. Uh, Trent and Ken, thank you. Uh, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Was that their most complete game of the year we witnessed yesterday, Doc? Complete? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's 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 a tough, uh, that's a kind of a nebulous way to describe it. I would say it's their best game, the best regular season game in Fran McCaffrey's career. Honestly, wow. uh, when you look at this, at what was at stake, mm-hmm. the the situation, the the late this of the season to go on the the road against a top five opponent and to win and win decisively and bolt yourself into the top five entering March for the first time since 1956. I I don't think it's too hyperbolic to say it's the biggest win in the Fran McCaffrey era in the regular season. So um, I think this was a really uh, you know an important game. The way they played was was terrific the way they played defense was outstanding so i thought that they uh that this was this gives you a lot of encouragement where maybe on thursday night and friday morning there wasn't a lot it's true yeah, yes coming in from uh, where we were at that point did to you now hear this bohannon's tweet or, uh, uh, comment after the game they didn't listen to the twitter coaches it's probably a good thing <laughs> I, I think we all know that's a good thing with that doc it's about the defense. This defensive effort, certainly yesterday, holding that Ohio State team that has so many weapons to 57 points. And what we've seen going all the way back, even in a loss to the game against Indiana for now a month, I was been playing really good basketball. One of the def- uh, metrics out there I mentioned at the top of the show today, I was eighth in the country mm. since that Indiana game in defensive efficiency. They're playing at a high level. So what's changed? What do you see that's different on Iowa on the defensive end? Part of it is a little bit more reliance on going man, uh, so they're able to match up a little bit better, and and they haven't been beaten that badly at all by the dribble drive, and you know, so I think that's part of it. And uh, you know, it, it's it's hard because I think everybody is slowing things down a little bit in the Big Ten. I mean, this is it's such a grind as a league, and so I, I don't know that it's. Uh, I mean, if this was been two months ago, I think this <laughs> this game would have been probably a lot more like the first game. It's just. I think everybody's slowing down a little bit, but that said, they are playing very well. And really, there's only one area where there, to me, still there's a concern, and it, it really won't go away, and that's three-point uh, percentage defense. And uh, but yesterday it was outstanding. I mean, they they did, they held the five of seventeen, and and that was a team that hit uh, what fourteen in the opener. So uh, defensively, you know, they're fourth the Big Ten in, in field goal percentage. That's pretty good in this league. So. Um, Really, it's it's just being more in tune, more disciplined. Um, you know the the changes and in, in, in strategy have been less, and and I think you've seen just an overall better effort by better by players too. Uh, certainly did from Joe Toussaint yesterday, Doc. Would you agree that uh, that's the best we've seen Joe Toussaint look like in some time? He was confident. Uh, he, he, I think he had this turnover very early, but finished with seven assists, which was far and away the most assists, and did so in 14 minutes. Uh, really good uh, minutes out of Joe Toussaint yesterday. Yeah, it was an outstanding game for him, and he needed that in the worst way because you know he, he for the most for about the last month or so. He's been trending in that downward direction. That just is tough to 
justify putting him on the floor. I mean, if he's going to continuously turn the ball over on, you know, a half to a third of his possessions, then it's just he's almost a net liability. So the fact that he can have seven assists, only one turnover, and that turnover, you know, you might want to avoid putting him under the, you know, bringing the ball out of bounds. He seems to be struggling with that. But but outside of that, you know, he, he was under control. He didn't shoot too many, um, you know, negative shots. He was only one of three, but they don't need him to be that. They need him to play the way he played, which is under control, get the right players the ball, get a couple rebounds, a couple of steals, score when it's there. But other than that, so I think that was an outstanding effort for, for Joe Toussaint. Another guy I want to get your perspective, point guard, Jordan Bohannon. He has evolved. He has changed. He is a different guy than we saw that brash freshman that's hitting shots against Wisconsin and Maryland and mm-hmm. John a lot more. Now he's still out there talking because that's what Bo does, but sets the assist record yesterday and doing it and just uh, how he has changed as a point guard and as a player with the injuries that he's dealt with. Um, You know, I think he's still real similar to the way he always was. It's just, uh, you know, he had some big shots earlier in his career and and he's still got it in him. Um, he just hasn't taken him as much because he looks at himself as a full-time point guard. And that means distribution. That means getting the offense going. And uh, and he's done a really good job of that. And plus, when you have Luca Garza and you have Joe Wieskamp, there's no need for him to, to start chucking up shots all the time if, if he's got those other two guys. So he's done a really good job of, of slowing things down. I mean, playing to his strengths. You know, there are certain deficiencies he has in his game, but you don't notice them as much unless they get into a real transition game. And that's, that's partly due to efficiencies on offense because if you have a lot of turnovers or bad shot selection, that leads to transition opportunities for the defense, and that really puts him in a, in a tough spot. So he's done a really good job to be of, of allowing his other, the other players to play to their strengths, which in turn makes Iowa a better and stronger team. Uh, Doc, I want to get your opinion on this. You, you've certainly uh, seen uh, hundreds of games in arenas and gyms, etc. Is basketball, college basketball, NBA basketball, is it the most difficult sport to officiate? Uh, that's a great question, and I, I think I think you're right because of a couple of factors the other sports don't have. And, and you know, baseball is such a slow-paced game. And so there's only a little bit of movement. Um, football is a wide game. Um, it's tough to officiate, but there are, eight, you know, eight officials on the field most of the time. So, you know, the center judge, it, it, so that's difficult. But basketball, because there's so many scoring plays and it's a tight knit mm-hmm. court and there's only three guys out there and the, the ball moves so fast, but the players move so fast and they're so physical that I think, you know, and a lot of times, Everything has to be at a fraction of a second, and so you don't have a chance to really, you know, process what just happened. That I think it is very difficult because if you were to ask any Big Ten fan of any team, they hate every official in the Big Ten, <laughs> yeah. every single one of them, right. no question. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard if you're an official and you get one play, one call wrong. It looks like you just had the worst game of your life, and so <laughs> yeah, it's it's very. It's very challenging. It's challenging at every level of basketball, but when you get into the upper levels, high high major college and, and the pros, it's just 
it, it's too much to ask in some cases. It was Eddie Hightower for a long time, then TV Teddy Valentine. He doesn't do Big Ten games anymore now. It's Larry, Little Larry Serrata and Bo Borowski and Courtney Green. I have quite the list. Maybe, maybe that's more of a B problem than anything. That's another thing. You know, we get to know these officials so well. I know it's where they live, where they're kind of set up. And guy lives in Wisconsin. Of course, he's going to do a lot more Big Ten games. That's just the way that it's set up there. What could be done to, I don't know, improve the officiating? We're talking about a $100 million get industry younger. here. Is that something? Get younger guys in there? Would that even help? Professional leagues have professionals, professional officials. Why is that not the case at the collegiate level? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, it, it's only it's a very short window of time. I mean, you talk about the NBA. They start in October, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes in September with the training camps. That's all the way into mm-hmm. the into the summer with uh, the the tournaments. I mean, basketball is a, a longer season, but it's, they don't play every day, um, and and so there's there's some differences there. I, I guess it, it's really hard because different officials get branded differently, and and they, they want the best to, to continue to go, but. And there are some that I think are outstanding. I think there's some that um, that aren't. You know, and, and there's always going to be friction between the players and, and the coaches and the officials. And and uh, you know, the best ones are the ones that could just you know shake it off and and uh, take the criticism, but not necessarily turn it personal. That's hard to do. Um, you know, because if you have a, a coach f bombing you or, or yelling at you on every other possession, it gets tough. But you know, you, it, it takes thick skin, and uh, I feel for them. But I also, you know, I recognize there are a lot of games that that kind of get tipped the other way, and and I would say the worst one for sure was, uh, you know, probably the TV Teddy game against Michigan mm-hmm. State, uh, 2013 Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was uncalled for, and there was a reason why that uh, he didn't officiate an Iowa game for more than two years. Interesting. The reason I brought it up, Doc. I mean, Keegan Murray, that was clearly a block all day long. <laughs> And I don't know if the official was was anticipating. It's it's tough. I I I honestly believe that it is the most difficult sport to officiate. So let's get to Keegan Murray. Not that play necessarily, but just his overall game. My oh my, doc! It's just that it seems like Trent and I every single day after we were on here after a Hawkeye game, his name gets brought up. Um, nobody thought he. Maybe some did. I know that my co-host and I surely didn't <laughs> think that it was going to be like this was going to be the season that he had. He's going to be a star, Scott Dockerman. Without a doubt, he's been fantastic all year. Because as you mentioned, I think people kind of naturally thought of him as just you know, almost a legacy guy. Same thing with Chris Murray, for that matter. That they were just legacies. They came in because they're Kenyon's kids. They're athletic. They're tall, um, and that, you know, and eventually they'll work their way to the floor. But I mean, he is a real asset. He impacts the game on every possession. Whether or not he gets a statistic or not, it, you could see the game change because everybody's got to adapt to him because he plays at a different speed and a different intensity. I mean, his numbers were outstanding yesterday. Five or eight points, five rebounds, uh, you know, two steals, a block, no turnovers. Uh, but he's also in position defensively. He's also you know, blocking out. He's doing those things that, you know, obviously we don't write about and don't end up in the box score. And basketball box scores are gigantic. But, man, he is he's everything Iowa needs. He's that one just that X-factor glue guy, whatever you want to call it, that, that really could change the impact, you know, the, the trajectory of a game. And, 
and he's doing it each and every game, and he's getting better. You could see it. You could see that every game he goes in there, you know, he hasn't really had a bad game. He's doing everything right. So I, I think he's going to be not only a star, but right now he's as important of a piece on this team as anybody else. Doc, you've seen a lot of Iowa basketball throughout the years. One thing that that always is fun to watch, and I know these guys have to kind of create their own excitement. You got Austin Ash over there leading the defense chant, but it feels like everybody's engaged. You you got guys that didn't play. Perkins and Ulis, two really talented young men, didn't get off the bench, but you saw them. They had smiles on their faces. Iowa's making a run, and they're clapping and in there. After the game, Bohanna mentioning this one was for Jack Nungy. This is a close nut team. At least it feels for me. You covered a lot closely. Do you see the same thing? Are playing for each other. You know that there is a recognition of the talent level that each and individual brings to this team, and, and but they are very close knit. They've had a lot of tough issues with each other. I mean, you know, the older guys. You know, you think about the seniors on this team and what they went through their first year. I mean that that was a dreadful season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was. But came to the Big Ten in their first year and and lost I think seven games or something like that after February first. So they were just a dreadful team, and then they fought their way all the way back last year. They were on the you know the cusp of being a, a really tough out in the NCAA tournament. They didn't get there. They had to deal with COVID issues. They've had to deal with all this stuff. And and Luca Garza coming back and Jordan Bohannon mm-hmm. for this year and Wieskamp not going professional. Uh, you know. Connor McCaffrey, you know, they've known each other. A lot of them know each other for several years. But you can just see that they play for each other. And uh, they, they're they the most mentally tough team that Iowa's had under Fran McCaffrey, no question. And that's what's leading them to win because, let's face it, Trent, if, you know, going into this week with what happened with Michigan, um, most people would have said, okay, they probably lose at Ohio State. Maybe they lose to Wisconsin. They're 1-3 and going in the Big Ten tournament. Then they're six. Well, we've seen a lot of those losses to the six eleven or five twelve, you know, seeds all you know throughout the years. And then this season's just like it always is. Instead, they reversed everything with that win yesterday, yep. and now now they're in the top five again for the first time since nineteen fifty six. I don't even want the march. Uh, Doc, I just had somebody reach out on Twitter and ask this question: um, Is this Joe Wieskamp's final two home games? to say i i don't because basketball's got that extra um it you know extra amount of uh, evaluation so i think that you try to look you celebrate it as it as if it is because i think he's playing like a potential pro but you know what does he do from in march what does he do in the ncaa tournament i mean does he you know go two of eight in, in a game or you know for five points does he go you know, eight of twelve for for twenty five. You know, just something like that. That that that's going to determine a lot more. Plus, you know, he's got, I'm sure he's going to declare. I'm sure he's going to go through the process, and then at the end of it, you know, so it's a little bit more difficult. Football is a little more cut and dry than basketball. So I would say he's got another year if he wants it. Um, but appreciate him for his career for the next week. Uh, indeed. Any uh, anything you want to promote that you've got coming up on the athletic this weekend or this week, Doc? <laughs> it's kind of interesting straddling a line. I did go through Iowa's potential NFL draft picks the other day, saw that, yeah. and uh, just to kind of see where the the right fits for all those players: uh, Davion Nixon, Chauncey Golston, players like that, Alaric Jackson. And then yesterday, I wrote about the connection between Jerry Kill 
an Iowa wide receivers coach, Kelton Copeland, who played for him 20 years ago at Emporia State, a Division II school in Kansas, and how a conversation changed his life. So uh, that's that's what I have. Not as much basketball on my end of things, but uh, certainly I follow it very closely. Indeed you do. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, appreciate you coming on. We will uh, talk to you next Monday. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Uh, here as he joins us on a Monday. So the Nebraska game Thursday a little bit easier. Did you see the news this morning I from did. the Husker program? What happened? Teddy Allen has decided to He's our leading scorer. Yeah, he averages almost 17 a game. Yeah, oh, he was in the top five in the Big Ten for quite... He leaving? Leaving? He's out. Seen enough. No one week left. Yeah. I'm going to guess things are not going real well if that's happening. Boy, they did you see... They, they almost... I mean, Marcus Carr was unbelievable. Yeah. He had 40-something, and most of them, I, mean, I think he had the last, like, 18 points uh, for Minnesota. They almost blew that game. It really? That's it. That's Well, that is a little bit easier, because they hadn't been playing bad, Trent. No, After the COVID shutdown and all of the games that they've been forced to play, like, I was going to beat them, mm-hmm. but at least this was a team that you would think they would you know, have a little bit of a pulse. Uh, Doc brought up the freshman year for Bohan and Garza in that group. Yeah. I look back at that year. That was the year that early on they went to the Cayman Islands, lost to Louisiana Lafayette and South Dakota State, and it was on. Right. That team, we've been talking a lot this season about defensive efficiency numbers at Ken Palm. And when they got up to the 100 range, boy, this team is struggling. Mm -hmm. Where where are they now? 57, did you say? 59. 59, okay. That season, the freshman year for that group, they finished... 242nd in the country in defensive efficiency. They've improved. It's come a long, long way from what they were at that point. Uh, some fun numbers to look back upon and how this program's been built. And this is Fran McCaffrey. You have to give credit to this guy. It, You know, game to game, the small things that irk me. But this program, what he has developed it into. Backdoor covers. <laughs> Backdoor covers. He... This program, the way that it's built, they are back to the Dr. Tom level. They are. I know people have these illusions that Dr. Tom, look, when George Raveling's recruits weren't there, this is what Iowa basketball was. You get to the NCAA tournament, you win a game, and then you lose in the round. And then you get Duke. And then you get Duke. Right. You get Kentucky. And Andre Woolridge tries. Boy, did that kid try to put that team Mm. on the back. But Guy Rucker... It's about the only other guy that came along with him that night. That's what happens. That's what Iowa basketball is, and that's what it is now with the chance to do a whole lot more this season. Indeed there is. Apparently J.J. Watt is uh, down to three teams. Green Bay. Yeah, that one's not a surprise. Pittsburgh. Nope. Cleveland. Yeah. And Buffalo. Buffalo. If you're J.J. Watt, what do you choose? Of those three? Well, Cleveland's out. Why is Cleveland out? Cleveland's got a good defense, but where are you on base? Rank the quarterbacks. I can go into the best quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers is still that now. He is still number one. But Allen's going to be, I think he's going to be a star. I really do. Baker Mayfield is okay, but he's clearly three on that list. He is. I think you go to... You're in the division with the Lions. You're in the division with the Bears. And you've got the Vikings. Cleveland, uh, the north of the AFC is difficult. 
Uh, Buffalo is going to dominate. Well, I shouldn't say that because Miami's yes. uh, arrow is pointing upwards. I think you go to Green Bay. You hitch your wagon to Aaron Rodgers. It's certainly not about fun and sun. Green Bay, Wisconsin, <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio, and yeah. Buffalo, New York. No, for sure. Oof. That's a good point uh, for a guy that's used to playing indoors. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll come back, finish things up. Miller and Condon. It's 1460 KXNO, 106- Have a home with us. You can see it. Picture it. The building you've always wanted. An expansion of your existing business. A new retail center where your growth really begins to take off. You've got the vision, but now what? Now you connect with Graphite Construction Group. Formerly Roshan Corporation of Iowa, Graphite Construction Group is the partner you want to match your vision. From the moment you first connect to long after the build is complete, nobody does it better than Graphite Construction Group. See why at Graphite GR for life. UFC 259 is this weekend and is sure to be action-packed with three title fights taking place in one night. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 100 to 1 odds on either fighter to land a punch during the title fight. Pick either main event fighter to land a punch during this weekend's UFC 259 bout and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds. Just bet $1 on either fighter to land a punch and if that happens you will cash $100 download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code KXNO when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if either main event fighter lands a punch on Saturday that's code KXNO to turn $1 into $100 if either fighter lands a punch for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older Iowa only new customers only restrictions apply see DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details Gambling problem? Call one of Mighty M. Trent Condon here for the Urology Center of Iowa. Well, I did it. I had my vasectomy procedure with the Urology Center of Iowa. It was quick efficient, and I was in and out in less than a half hour. The big bracket for college hoops is coming out soon. If you want an excuse to chill on the couch while watching wall-to-wall basketball, then it's time to make the call to the Urology Center of Iowa to schedule your vasectomy. Call 515-400-3550 or online at iowauro.com. Vasectomies with the Urology Center of Iowa. And tell them you heard it on Center Des Moines. Welcome back. So that list of where J.J. Watt's going to play his uh, career, that's changed. Uh, there's a lot of blue check marks that got this one wrong. J.J. Watt has just made it official himself. Source, me. He's going to the fun in the sun. Says, so screw that cold weather. Yeah, yeah. J.J. Uh, Watt, it's official. Those old joints are starting to ache a little bit. Said, so let's stay in the warm weather. He's an Arizona Cardinal. That's not bad. Not bad indeed. So uh, busy. 20 minutes or so for J.J. Watt. Thought the story had broke. Something on it. I don't know even what it is. But uh, he's not going to uh, Green Bay, Cleveland, or Buffalo. He is going to the west of the NFC. He's a, he's a Cardinal. All right, Trent, update us what's going on at Wells Fargo Arena as uh, we're underway down there. Yes, of course. Uh, earlier today, as we mentioned, Wonky, a big victory against Dowling Catholic. As they move on to the semifinals, they will take on the winner of the game going on right now. It is Southeast Spoke Ankeny Centennial. And the Rams lead the Jaguars 36-29. Updates all week long, presented by Global Direct Mail and Marketing in Urbandale. All right, good stuff. All right, uh, again, Murph and Andy are coming up 1-3. to three. So Coward's on for the next hour. Then Murph and Andy 1-3. to three. The Fanatics from 3 until 6. No change with the two morning programs. 
Of course, the morning rush starts at 6. They go 6 to 8. Then Dan, Pat, Dan Patrick till 10. And then Trent and I from 10 until noon. Uh, thanks for being with us here on a Monday. A lot of ground to cover. Trent and I talk sports from 10 to noon, Monday through Friday. On Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.